0: All right, let's jump in this morning. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. If you don't have your Bibles, um, it will be on the screen, but we always encourage you to bring your Bible. Oh, listen to those page turns. Luke chapter 11. We're gonna be in verse one. Luke chapter 11, verse one. God, we just say yes to you again in this place come holy spirit open our eyes open our ears god you're always good news god you are always good news and we just say yes to you today we say yes to you today amen um as a kid apparently i i liked the question why far too much <laughs> I don't remember this, but my parents will tell Jesse and I. Jesse's my wife, for those of you who don't know, she's not here again um, today. But my parents would tell us stories about how much trouble I would get in with my teachers because I always asked the question, why. Now, before you draw any conclusions, because I know some of you, I'm a new face to you, I'm not some sort of anarchist. I don't like to just tear things down because I can. I hate getting in trouble. I just need to clarify that this morning. I do not like getting in trouble. At youth camp, I was the kid telling my friends that we shouldn't sneak out to meet the girls because it was against the rules. But I was also the kid that the leaders would take out after the kids got caught sneaking out and said, hey, John, we just wanna ask you. (laughs) It's the worst. Which one of your friends led? And and I'm there like, I don't wanna get in trouble, so it was this guy, I'm sorry. I once apologized to my math teacher because I skipped one class in grade 11. I don't think he quite knew what to say. He wasn't discouraged, but he wasn't appreciative either. He just kind of looked confused. (laughs) Why are you apologizing to me? But I think, or or sometimes I would stop, because my parents have told me this story a uh, a number of times. I would stop and I'd ask the question, why the obsession with the question Why? And I think what I've discovered over the years is that I simply simply wanted to understand, right? I liked to understand. I wasn't asking the question in a sort of defiance, maybe sometimes. But but even as a kid in elementary school, I wanted to understand. I I wanted to know the heart behind what I was being told. I wanted to understand why. Because I said so was literally the worst answer you could give me. Didn't work. But I think so much is is connected to our why questions. I think there's so much connected to our why questions. To ask the question why or the why of something is the desire to understand at a deeper level. To ask the question why is the desire to understand the cause or the reason or the purpose. We We began this fall together with the invitation to simply not build on a system. We started a vision series in the month of September where we said, as we build into this new year, what would it look like to not build on a system or to build on a status quo, but instead to build on the person of Jesus? To see the person of Jesus, not just as someone to believe in with our minds, but actually to rebuild our entire lives on. For Jesus to be the foundation. As the followers of Jesus came together in the book of Acts, where we read the beginnings of the church, and, and became the church, they called themselves followers of the way. Now, this, this, this word way had a capital W, so the question is what way, right? They were followers of whose way or what way? Well, they were followers of the way of Jesus. They were followers of the way of Jesus. They didn't see following Jesus as just an idea to believe in. It was that, but it was more than that. It was actually a way to live, The disciples or followers of Jesus reordered their entire lives around the way that Jesus had shown them to live. But most importantly, how to live in relationship with God. Jesus showed them how to live into relationship with God. Ultimately, Jesus was their why. If they asked a why question, Jesus was ultimately their why. Every why they ever had or would ever have would be resolved in Jesus. Right? Every single one. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think many of us grew up in church communities or church circles where it was, it was really discouraged to ever ask the question why. I know I did. For some of us, right, we were directly told not even that it was discouraged, but it was actually do not do it. Why was dangerous? It, it was maybe even evil. To ask why meant you doubted or or maybe even that you were questioning too much. But I think Jesus invites our why because he wants to actually reveal how he is the answer to every single why we could ever ask. Matthew 7, Jesus says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. If this is who Jesus is, and our foundation as followers of Jesus is to always come to Jesus with our why. Let me ask this question. And this question really sets up what we're going to be exploring here over the next month. But let me ask the question here and now, why prayer? Why prayer? I think most of us, if not all of us in the room, would agree that prayer is important, right? Prayer is important, sure. But, but do we honestly know why it's important? Do we know why it's important? In a way, the disciples of Jesus were asking a very similar question in our text in Luke 11. Let's go back here for a second. It'll be up on the screen. We're going to go a little bit verse by verse here. It says in verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just like John taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. Now this would have been a really common question of a disciple would ask their rabbi or teacher in in the day, in the first century. And we see this in the second part actually in their question. Just as as John taught his disciples. Right here they're actually talking about John the Baptist. But the point here is that disciples would ask their rabbi how to pray. So this isn't kind of a random off-putting question coming out of nowhere. How to pray would have been a very common question for disciples to ask the one they followed. So why did Luke provide this moment in his gospel? That's a great question to ask. If every disciple or every apprentice of that day would have asked this question, it was very commonplace, why do we need to know about it? Why do we need to know about it? Let's dig into that a little deeper. So there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all written accounts of the life of Jesus. And throughout these gospels, it is recorded that Jesus prayed, this is just what was recorded, 38 times. So 38 times in all four Gospels, it says that Jesus prayed to some degree. 16 of those 38 times are just in the book of Luke alone. And then seven of those times happened before our text here in Luke 11. Great. Why does that matter? Thank you for the numbers. I forgot them already. But the question is, what does Luke want us to see? Because Luke does want us to see something. It's not a mistake. It's not just a happenstance. It's not just a detail he threw in. Luke wants us to know something. And it's this. Prayer is absolutely foundational to the life of Jesus. Prayer is absolutely foundational to the life of Jesus. To Jesus, prayer wasn't, wasn't casual. Prayer wasn't just simply something you check off the list on your devotion time. But it wasn't just about the amount of times that Jesus prayed either or, or where Jesus prayed. It was how he prayed. Another way you could say it is it was his heart posture. It was the closeness with God these disciples witnessed in the life of Jesus. They had begun to, to get a glimpse or catch a glimpse of who Jesus actually was. They would, they would see the miracles taking place. The way he drew in the broken and the hurting, those who needed healing, the way people left him free and loved and healed the way he loved people. I mean, really loved people. The compassion and the grace and the goodness they saw in Jesus. Luke 5, 15 says, yet the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It's an interesting way to word that. There's so one word in particular, especially in verse 16, that seems a little strange. Lonely. It's an interesting word. It's the Greek word oramos, and it literally means uninhabited or deserted, remote, or solitary. So the disciples of Jesus witnessed Jesus breaking away from the crowds who desperately needed him to heal them and every, every need they could possibly imagine to bring to Jesus, yet... Jesus withdrew to a remote and solitary place to pray. Let's be honest for a second. That sounds a little counterintuitive for Jesus. Don't these people need you? Aren't you in a hurry? Like, Jesus, there's literally a crowd of people waiting for you to heal them and bring them into a state of wholeness. They're looking for you for something, and now you're breaking away from the crowd to pray. That seems a little counterintuitive. But here's what they witnessed. After Jesus would go off to this solitary place to pray, Jesus would come to the crowds and they would see Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, feed the hungry, show outrageous amounts of love, grace, and compassion and mercy. They probably started to draw the conclusion that prayer had something to do with it. Prayer had something to do with it. There must be a correlation between prayer and what they witnessed this man Jesus doing. Let's go back to verse 1 again for a second. One day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples asked him, teach us to pray. Jesus, we we don't quite know what we're seeing here, but when you pray around us or when you go off to this place to pray, again, whatever's happening there, please pray. Teach us to pray because we want what you have. There's something going on in this space that we have not seen before. Please show us what that is. Trent Butler wrote, they saw that his actions each day came out of his prayer life with God. They desired the same dedicated prayer life. Now, many of us could recite the Lord's Prayer from memory. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, probably to some degree you could recite at least a word or a phrase. It's pretty familiar to us, again, whether you went to church or not. But I want to invite us to look a little deeper at this prayer for a moment. Because I think Jesus is is not just simply giving his disciples or us a script to follow or some sort of instruction manual from Ikea on how to build a prayer. But we can oftentimes see it like that, can't we? This is some sort of duty or script I must follow to truly prayer correctly. But this isn't a ceremony. This is not a duty. Jesus is inviting his disciples to, to a whole new heart posture. Maybe even actually a whole other way to live. This is what prayer actually is. Jesus begins to teach them the beginning point of literally everything they witnessed Jesus say or do. Jesus begins to teach them the foundation of his entire life. If you could use the metaphor of a tree to describe the life of Jesus, prayer would very much be the roots of the tree. It's not too much to say that literally everything, everything for Jesus came from prayer. Jesus once said that, very truly I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Have you ever asked the question, how does Jesus see what the Father is doing? How does Jesus know what the Father is doing? Well, the answer is prayer. The answer is prayer, intimacy with the Father, knowing God. But this isn't a knowing just in a simple way of head knowledge or agreeing with the right things or understanding the proper rule system. No, this is is the kind of knowing that actually transforms you into the kind of person who desires the same thing God does. Knowing God like this actually begins to form you. Actually begins to form you. We are all formed, whether we like it or not. The world around us forms us. None of us get a choice in the matter, unfortunately. If you have breath in your lungs and you live on planet Earth, planet Earth is forming you in some way or another. I'm sorry. It's, it's the story we've been given. But we live into this story. It, it begins to shape the decisions we make, the preferences we have. For example, I have never once in my life desired to own a truck. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> Do I not look like the person that would want to own a truck? Probably not. But I have never desired to own a truck. I don't know if I just never saw the desire or, or the need for one. I just, I just personally never really wanted a truck. Now, <laughs> we move to Graham and Ann, and we make this our home, and I'm, I'm out in the yard with Jesse and the swing set with the girls. I'm like, babe, did you just see the Toyota Tundra that just drove by? Okay, I think that's the new one because that looks different than the other ones that those guys were driving a little while ago. The front's different. But then, you know, babe, that's great. But just honestly, just like a red F-150 is fine. Just like my Grampy drove, that, that's fine. That's good. That, I can settle for that. That's good. And then, doesn't take long before a Dodge Ram Limited Longhorn drives by. <laughs> and I'm like, hold on, new story. This is okay. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, who am I? <laughs> what happened? And then I'm wearing rubber boots 90% of the time. <laughs> but we are all formed, aren't we? We are all formed by the world around us, and then we begin to live into that story for better or for worse. That's why social media can be so toxic, right? So-and-so posted a picture of their perfect life, and, man, everything looks so clean, and everything looks so tidy, and everybody's always smiling. And their kids are always like coloring really neat pictures in the lines, and every, everything's so luxurious and perfect. Man, what am I missing? It gets dark pretty quick, doesn't it? And you know what's even worse is, is any kind of advertising or, or marketing, right? Do you want a happy family with kids who always listen to you? with perfect teeth and no receding hairlines. That can be yours if you buy whatever it's called. And we're like, okay. We don't even think about it. Why is that? Right? Like, why is that? Why, why do we get so easily sucked into that? Well, the reality is we, we were made to be sustained and fulfilled by the presence of God. That, that, is, that is the design of human beings, to, to live in, in proper and good relationship with God. In Genesis 2-7, it says this in the creation account, Then God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. God was literally the power bringing humanity to life. Without God, basically, there's no life. This relationship between God and humanity was broken with our own selfishness, right? Thanks for life, God. I appreciate your breath of life. Cool, we got it from here. We like our version of good better than you. But ever since that, that one, what seems like simple, simple decision of selfishness, we've been aching for that relationship ever since. We've been aching for that breath of life ever since. Left feeling lonely and empty and lost and honestly confused and broken because our good didn't actually turn out to be that good. So what do we do? We look, we look to be sustained and fulfilled and find pleasure in our marriages or our jobs, our kids and our families, our, our bank accounts or our, or our things or our Dodge Ram Longhorn Limited. But it doesn't get us very far. You know why? Because we can never find enough things there's there's always enough things my brother was talking to me the other day because he got the new iphone or whatever and he was he was complaining how the battery life has changed compared to the last one he got he goes well next year the another one will come out and it'll be better it's like well when do you stop when do you have the perfect thing basically what this is saying here in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Sorry, I skipped the verse. Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that he has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What is this saying? Well, basically it's saying there's an ache. There's an ache in the depth of who we are as human beings. We, we ache for fulfillment. right? You get, you, you get that sense sometimes that there's, there's got to be more than what I'm experiencing right now. Right? Maybe there's a disappointment or there's a pain or there's an anger or honestly maybe even there's a success and then it happens the, but then the feeling goes and you're like, now what? It's like that Jim Carrey line that I quoted a little while ago. I wish everybody would have all their dreams accomplished and have X amount of dollars to realize it's not actually enough. There's an ache in all of us and this ache points to one truth. And it's usually far more simple than we think. And we overcomplicate it all the time. But this ache points to one thing. That you and I were made to be in relationship with God. To know God. But not just to know God, but to actually have God know you. To actually know you and me. To be sustained by him in every moment. Jesus says this in John 17. Now this is eternal life. Now we talked about this before, before we go on, eternal life, the best way to understand that, because that's kind of a phrase, I don't use that in my everyday language very often. What do they mean by eternal life? It had far more to do with substance than it did trajectory. Like eternal life meant, maybe another way you could say it is the most real life. A life that begins now that does go into eternity, but what Jesus says is this is ultimately what life is, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's interesting, he doesn't mention eternal life is to just to get to heaven when you die. That's part of it, sure, but that's not the, Jesus is, doesn't leave a lot of room to flirt here. Eternal life is actually knowing the one who made you and letting that be the thing that actually creates life in you. This right here, This verse right here is why prayer is foundational for Jesus. Prayer is knowing God. The restored and healing relationship from back in the garden where it was broken. So let me go back again to our original question, why prayer? Well, simply put, prayer is knowing God. Prayer is knowing God. This is what Jesus demonstrated to his disciples. Jesus constantly lived in relationship and connection with the Father. And he did this mainly through prayer. Prayer is knowing God at the deepest level. Prayer is coming to the Father with this ache that we've been talking about and not being fulfilled by another story and confronting the truth that Jesus, it only comes from when I follow you in the same direction and relationship you have with the Father. Here's my ache. God, I don't know what to do with it. Can you show me? Prayer is desiring to know who God is what god wants what god cares about what breaks his heart what brings god joy prayer is acknowledging the fact that i don't know the way but god you do so here i am the disciples asked jesus teach us to pray because in jesus they witnessed a life absolutely fueled and sustained and empowered and filled with the presence of God. And the ache inside of them said, Jesus, I don't know what that is, but I need that. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why prayer? Because we were made for it. Why prayer? Because we need it. We may not even be able to recognize it in this moment, but it's not even so much that we need it. It's actually that we actually desire it. We do actually want it. Prayer is being able to say like David did in one of our favorite psalms here at our church, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. What? I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This is the heart of prayer Jesus wanted to teach his disciples. It wasn't the script. It wasn't the right thing to say. It was the why. If you could use a metaphor of a tree to describe the life of Jesus, prayer would be the roots. The deep waters the roots drink from is the presence of God. Sustaining the tree, bringing the life to the tree, empowering the tree and keeping it healthy. Healthy. The other day, I, I was walking the dogs out in the, in the trail in the back of our house. It's very, very dry this time of year. It's my favorite. Sarcasm, it's super wet. <laughs> but, but it's become my uninhabited place. It's, it's become my deserted place. It's, it's, it's become, as Jesus said, my eremos. And I was, I was kind of reflecting on the last year. You know, I've, I've been lead pastor here for just over a year now. And I, and I thought to myself, you know what? I, I'm not the same as I was a year ago. I, I don't feel the same. I, I, I think the way I could describe it is I felt older, but in a good way. <laughs> Maybe that's called maturity. <laughs> um, I just felt different. I, I, I kind of tried to unpack that different a little bit. So I just started to have kind of an open dialogue. With God, to some degree, it kind of happens. If you ever see me, somehow you're walking back there too. I probably look a little insane. and talk to myself a lot. Um, but I'm talking to the Lord. And, I, and, I, and I, the best way I could articulate it is I, I actually f- feel more myself than I have in a long time. I, I'm learning. I'm, I'm growing. I think I'm growing as a pastor. And how to shepherd. I'm, I'm st- I, have a, <laughs> I have a lot to learn. I'm learning how to be a better husband and a better father. And, and I came to a really heavy realization. I, I don't remember the last time I've been able to look back at a year and say, wow, look what God's done in just a short amount of time. If I, if I could take for you the last probably, I don't know, 10, 8 to 10 years of my life, and compare that to the last year, there's really only one common factor in it all. It's, it's prayer. It's prayer. Now, I, I grew up, some of you know my story, some of you don't. I grew up as a, a pastor's kid. Like, I make the joke all the time, I was born in the sanctuary. Like, I didn't know anything else but this world. I grew up in the Atlantic District of the Wesleyan Church. I didn't really have a choice in the matter. It is me. But about a year ago, I, I, I just started to, the best way I could say it is I started to make room for prayer in my life. Make, making, God, making room for God to, to, to lead my days. Not bring God my leftovers or to, to bring God kind of my, my crises or my, my, my moments of I'm lost and I don't know what to do, but actually bringing God the beginning of my day and say, God, here I am. I, I don't really know what else to say, but God, here I am all my blah, right, my good days, my bad days, my fears, my worries, the things I know, the things I don't know, my fears and worries about what does it mean to be a young pastor leading the story that we're in in this moment, my insecurities, my fears, my worries. What do I do? What do I not do? How do I not offend everybody? How do I please everybody? How do I be obedient to you in the same way? I bring all of that and just say, God, take it. Just take it dismantle it if you need to dismantle it because God I want to know you in a way where I don't stay the same next year where you're actually doing something so deep in me that I'm actually changing Paul talked about that being the transformation of the renewing of your mind that you're, you're, you're removing things in my life. That you're actually adding things. You're actually knowing me and me knowing you. Believe it or not, this has actually been one of the most peaceful years of my life. Because of my circumstances? Heck no. <laughs> We've gone through so much change as an entire world over the last year. But I can still say it was one of the most peaceful years of my life. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. There's COVID that's happened this year. There are wars that are still continuing. Right now, in spite of Jesse being on bed rest and having sick kids and all of that, the best way I can describe this year is peace. Because I started to say, God, here I am. I'm tired of the status quo life of just giving you the portions of my life. And seeing no change in me. I'm tired of that. I read about change or I read about revivals in history where God came and absolutely changed everything. So much so some places, I think, is it the Hebrides revival where like the donkeys literally needed to be changed out of the mines? Why? Because people stopped swearing at them. Isn't that crazy? That is the type of transformation God desires to do in a place. So, God, I'm tired of reading about people who know you. I want to know you. So, God, here I am. We're going to spend the rest of October unpacking the Lord's Prayer. We literally just got to teach us to pray. October is going to be like eight weeks. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) But we're going to unpack the Lord's Prayer not as a script, not as a duty. Not as, let Jesus teach me how to pray good. We're going we're to dig deep into it like Jesus did. It's a heart posture. As a relationship to engage in. To do as the disciples did. To learn from Jesus. To come to Jesus with our aches. With our preconceptions of prayer as, as something that we need to perform. Oh goodness, God help us. Right, to bring our, our pride, our ideas of we hear from God better than everybody else so I've got the right agenda when we come in. Listen, friends, nobody's got the right agenda other than Jesus. <laughs> right? Nobody in the room has a proper agenda other than Jesus. All of it. Lay all of it down at the feet of Jesus and say as the disciples did, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? Because here's the thing, what do we have to lose, friends? Wherever you are today, why, why, why don't we see what happens when we let Jesus show us how to pray? Even if your prayer is simply, God, here I am. Listen, friends, God longs to know us even more than we long to know him. Let that do circles around your mind for a minute. What is it in 1 John? We love only because he loved us first. It's that unconditional love. The love that's for you, even if you choose to not love him back. That's love. He wants to know you. Here's a great question What parts of yourself do you not want God to see? Uh. (laughs) I had a mentor ask me that once, and I'm like, oh, thanks. Nice to see you too. you know that God wants to know that part of you? God's not scared of it. You don't have to either. Even if your prayer is simply, God, here I am, that is a fantastic place to start. So here's the invitation for the next four weeks. This morning's been a little bit more of kind of an overarching as we kind of dive in headfirst next week into some more of the detail of all this stuff, but here's the invitation over the next four weeks, just kind of like how Eugene Peterson put the the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. To learn from our rabbi. To learn from Jesus. I want to invite you into a few things with me. Here's a few things really quickly that we do as a church already. On Wednesday mornings, here in this room, we pray every single morning, not every single morning, sorry. Welcome team, we're gonna pray every day in here now. Get ready soon. Um, But we pray here every single Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Why? To realign ourselves with what God says is good. Sometimes it's silent. Sometimes we can't keep people from praying. We just simply come and we say, God, here I am. God, would you have your way in us? And we let him take over. But starting this week, we're going to extend that time from 6 a.m. to 8 8 a.m. You don't have to come for the whole time, but I do want to invite you, even if it's for 10 minutes, to just come in. Even if you need to sit in the room, there's no pressure to come in. This is, listen, this is not a performance. We just need to, before we go any further in this series, prayer is not a performance. Do my girls need to come in and perform for me when they want to be in relationship with me? Heck no. I'd be a terrible father. I want them to come in. Olive was she spent half the day. She's my two-year-old. She spent half the day in just a diaper. Her hair was in a million, everywhere, a curly mess, and she was snotting from every hole in her body. She was disgusting. <laughs> but I want her to get. She's coming in, arms wide open. Dad, I'm messed, I'm sick. I don't know what to get in here. Prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not proving that you're good enough for God to know you. Come on. Nope. He knows you in the mess, in spite of the mess, because he's going to clean you up. Prayer is not a performance. Every Wednesday from 6 to 8, just come in. Stay the whole time if you have a couple hours, but if you've got five minutes, just come. Just sit and just, just absorb. Soak in the room. Second is pre-gathering prayer. We, we pray here every single Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Why? Because this isn't our church. This is God's church. This is God's people. It's Jesus' church. So God, come have your way in us. God, you lead the way. God, hijack. There have been mornings when I've gotten up to teach and I'm not quite sure if I'm supposed to preach. Because if God wants to hijack this, he can. Oh my goodness. Because he has to. He has to. I'm not good enough for that. My plans and my dreams, and I, I can dream really well. I think that's a gift of mine. I, can, I may not be good with the details, but I'm really good at thinking really far in advance. But even those great ideas are not enough. They're not gonna save Graham and Ann. They're not gonna lead people to Jesus. John's ideas are not gonna lead people to Jesus. Jesus is gonna lead people to Jesus. So we say, in this room, God, come have your way. Every single Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. So we have our prayer room and we have pre-gathering prayer. But I want to invite us into more. This This is more the individual thing. We read that Jesus often broke away from the crowd and to the group to just be with God. We're almost done. Stay honed in. Now, this may sound super intimidating and awkward, and honestly, let's just, let's just be real. It probably will be a little bit. But, but I want to invite us into a new rhythm this October. As we press into this series, I want to invite us into a new rhythm. And some of you may already be doing what I'm about to share, and that's awesome. Keep going. If you have a rhythm, stay in it. But I want to invite us, starting with me, to start and end our day with the Father. Even if it's five minutes. On your way out on the table, right by the, the schedule, I... I made this this week. I'm just simply calling it just a prayer guide. It's nothing fancy. But what it is is in the morning there's a category of morning and there's a category for evening and there's a passage there for the morning and then there's simply just the prayer that I started to pray about a year ago. God, here I am. You know, maybe when you grab the newspaper, I don't know if people grab newspapers anymore. Maybe we grab our Apple News scrolling machine. I don't know before we grab whatever we grab, maybe it's a book, maybe it's it's the news, maybe we turn on the TV, but before we do any of that, grab this. and Just say, God, here's my day. I don't know what's coming, it's uncertain to me, but all I know is, God, I need you. And then on the back, I just created a space for you to maybe, if you want, you don't have to, but to take notes. What's God showing you? What, 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 is, what does it mean to really know God? What, what, what are some things that maybe God may even be showing you about who he is? And just, there's no right, this is not a multiple choice test. I'm not going to check your answers on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. This is, this is just for you to kind of bare your soul before the Lord a little bit. God, I'm tired today. I had a terrible sleep. I don't know how you're going to make this day good, but I don't know. Here I am. Or, God, I had a great sleep last night. I'm walking on sunshine and rainbows. Let's go. Right? But it's a way to say, God, here's my soul. Here I am. I want to know you more. And then it's the same in the evening. This week we put Psalm 23. This is going to change every single week. So every single week as you go on Sunday mornings, there's a prayer guide that's going to be waiting for you. To just start getting into a rhythm of, God, I want to know you, and I'm going to create space to know you. So we have prayer room, pre-gathering prayer, and a daily prayer guide. I want to invite you into these, these, these practices, these rhythms with me. Because friends, we need it. We need it. I'm going to end here in a second, but Brother Lawrence was a monk. I'll invite Michelle to come up for a second. Brother Lawrence was a, was a monk in the 15th century in Paris. Brother Lawrence, he wasn't the head of a monastery. He wasn't a great teacher. He wasn't an excellent preacher or teacher by any means. Brother Lawrence worked in the kitchen. Brother Lawrence made soup. And he repaired sandals. But over his lifetime, many people were drawn to just get lunch with Brother Lawrence. I was, I was reading quite a few accounts this week and there was one theme that continued to just kind of rise up when people talked about Brother Lawrence and it was just this. There was a peace about him. Brother Lawrence had made a decision when he entered the kitchen that knowing God would be the greatest pursuit of my life. I want to end with this quote this morning and maybe we could all stand together. If you're with me this morning, could we stand? Whatever helps you focus, maybe it's closing your eyes. Maybe, I don't know. There's nothing fancy about closing your eyes, but it just kind of shuts the world off for a moment. Brother Lawrence said this, let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God the more we know him the more we will desire to know him as love increases with knowledge the more we know God the more we truly love him we will learn to love him equally in times of distress or in times of great joy let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God because you know what's amazing friends When we make the foundation of our lives knowing God, that love has to go out. The the hungry are fed. The hurting are welcomed in. This this is why we do things like Love Atlantic. It comes from this place of knowing God. It's not just, well, isn't knowing God kind of a waste because there's people to love, there's people to feed, all all of that stuff comes From knowing the Father. Because that is the Father's heart. Everything comes from knowing God. This is the way of Jesus. A life of prayer and knowing God at the very foundation of who we are. If that's where your heart is right now, or maybe this morning it's honestly just like, my heart isn't there, John, but it needs to be. I want to invite you to start with just these three simple invitations. Prayer room, pre-gathering prayer, and this daily prayer guide to just say, God, I'm sick and tired of the limits I feel like I have in knowing you. My life isn't all that I wanted it to be, and I'm left feeling, what now? I've had a couple conversations with some of you over the last couple weeks, and God's doing this already before we even started teaching about it. Some of you have found maybe an extra, maybe it's retirement and there's a gap of space where all of a sudden you're needing to fill it again. And some of you have come to me and just said, I've just been feeling the Lord drawing me into knowing him more. So I think I'm gonna try that. Jesus called that eternal life. The most life. The most real life. So over the next few weeks we're going to dive deeper into what this truly looks like but for now i just i want to invite your yes because i need this i i need this more i'm not i'm not going to ever be done needing this this is life